monitoring all outlets. So be careful. Uh, some of you, some of you heard Lisa talk about foster care. Some of you maybe have never thought of that before, never considered that possibility. So I just wanted to bring that back around again. Uh, until a year or so ago, Lisa and I had really never considered that as uh, either. We talked on and off about adoption, but uh, you know, just haven't gotten into that. But we we've started exploring, and, and God's beginning to put that in our hearts. And so I, we all know that adoption and as she was talking about orphans and different ones are are so so close to the heart of God. And that's why it pulls at our hearts as well. And so this is, you know, guilt-free commercial or anything, but I, I just wanted to bring that back around. Some of you, God planted a seed in your heart when you heard her say that, or he's been speaking to you along those lines. And I'd encourage you, if God's speaking to you about that, to pursue that. I loved what Anthony and Todd and Heidi were talking about in terms of of uh, young life. And, you know, they, they described something in what God is doing through them and what He's really impassioned them about in terms of the church going. This is the church gathering. This is very important part of who we are. Even a couple of weeks ago as we've been talking about relationships and uh, but we're we're not just we don't go to church, do we? If we really understand who we are and who God has called us to be as believers, as followers of Christ, then we don't merely go to church. We are the church going. We are the church going into every sphere, into our job places. And young life is a great opportunity. And that, again, if God's pressing on your heart, then don't don't uh, don't tell him to let up. Tell them to keep bringing it on. Well, we last week, Pastor Kevin McEwen was here. And if you have not, if you weren't here, you really need to get that message. And uh, he just talked about the just the heart of Jesus in regards to he came for the sick. He came for the dying. He came for those that so desperately need him. And that if we have that same heart, then... We're going to be going as well in that same capacity. But please take an opportunity to listen to that. If you weren't here two weeks ago, when we started talking about this, this whole issue of relationships, don't listen to it. Whatever you do, do not listen to it. I don't know about you, in the last two weeks, that word on relationships has been tested so huge. <laughs> In my life. So I'm warning you that we're just putting an advisory. Maybe, Emma, if we could put an advisory on that, just to, you know, be careful, caution, warning. So, because uh, I guarantee you, God's word is always tested. When we hear it, He then begins to work it into our lives. And that one's been rocking my party just a little bit. And uh, so, a word to the wise How important are relationships? We're ready to jump in here. Holy Spirit, you're the one who's been doing this. You're the one who's leading us on this journey. Uh, we're not going at this thing alone. And we're relying upon you to take us exactly where you need us to go. And so we just say, have your way. Open up your word. Let your word speak to us. Let anything that's not of you that I'm going to say just fall off. And the rest of it stick like glue. In Jesus' name, amen.
We use the metaphor that Pastor Hammond brought to us uh, a month ago now of Gen- from Genesis 26 where Isaac was redigging the wells of his father Abraham. And he was doing so because the wells that his father had dug were, had been filled in by their enemies. And as we've said, are the wells that represent those life sources in God, uh, where he identified four of them. What are they again? First one was faith. The second one is relationships. That's what we're redigging right now collectively. And then discipleship and the cross. The cross. And so we're saying that in the spirit, there's these things that we've got to redig. We've got to reopen these wells that each one of us individually perhaps have neglected over time. And if you know, if you've seen a well before, if it's neglected one out in the desert, it can, the dirt can fall into it, can start filling up. And pretty soon, next thing you know, the relationship's gone dry. And collectively, we also want to redig those things. We want to redig them in our marriages. Come on, that's where the, a big test is. Uh, with, our, with our children, with our parents, uh, with those in authority over us, with our bosses, with those under us. We want to redig those things. And relationships, really, when you think about it, in the way that God has designed us as human beings, they're everything. Uh, beginning with our relationship with Jesus, God's relationship with His creation, and our relationship with one another and with others, they're everything. You, you can't get away from them. People try to. It doesn't work out very well. It's the basic necessity of human existence. Uh, think about the different things. I want you guys to help me out with this, but what are some examples of uh, context of relationships. Uh, one of them would be gangs. I mean, pe- not necessarily good things, but people are drawn to gangs because why? Relationship. They want to. They want to count for something. They want to be connected. What are some other examples? Sports teams. Yeah. What were you saying? Bowling. Yeah, bowling teams. Totally. Heck yes, bowling teams. Companies, organizations, groups, bands, crews, squads, young life, cliques, fraternities, sororities, churches. We tapped you out already? Come on. Yeah, marriages, friendships, connections, associations, partnerships. It's all relationships. It's all relationships. I'm going to read you something stupid, okay? Siamese twins walk into a bar in Toronto and park themselves on a bar stool. Paul, I told you I'd warn you ahead of time. One of them says the bartender, don't mind us. As you can see, we're joined side by side at the hip. I'm John. He's Jim. Two beers. Draft, please. The bartender, feeling slightly awkward, tries to make polite conversation while pouring the beers. Uh, Been on holiday yet, guys? Uh, Off to England next month, actually, says John. We go to England every year, rent a car, and drive for miles, don't we, Jim? Jim agrees. 
Ah, England, says the bartender. Wonderful country, the history, the beer, the culture. It's great. No, actually, we don't like that British stuff, John says. Hamburgers and beer, that's us, eh, Jim? And we don't really care much for the English people either. I'm confused. So why do you keep going back to England, asks the bartender. Well, it's the only chance Jim gets to drive. Skylar, maybe you could jump up on the drums and just, yeah. I, I warned you ahead of time I was going to read something stupid, but relationships. We're actually going to get back to that in just a little bit. You see, the deepest and the best human relationships are the ones with Jesus at the center, with him at the foundation. Jesus is the most needed. He's the most important relationship a human being can have. Without Jesus, our relationships with others aren't even going to be close to what they could be. I think most of you here, including myself, could say that apart from Jesus, the closest relationships that you have, you may not be together in those relationships. Some relationships have been stressed to such a degree, almost to the point of breaking. But Jesus rescued. He came through. Day after day after day. And as Dean was inviting the Lord to do, keep coming, keep coming, Lord, because we need you. Stupid story about the twins. It's not far off, actually, from the way that Paul describes uh, relationships in the early church in Acts 2. You're going, what in the world are you talking about? Well, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 and other places... Um, Ev sent me something by a guy named Rick Joyner who heads up a denomination called Morning Star out of North Carolina. One of the things that he says about the church is that there are two basic Greek words for the church in the New Testament. There's ekklesia, which many, I think, are, are, you're acquainted with, and then which has to do with the structure and the government of the church. And that includes all of you, not just the ones who, you know, are the pastors or, or whatever. That's, that's all of us. The government that we carry together and the responsibility uh, that we have together to do that. Although, in our present day and age, in large part, that has been taken away from the people of the church. And it's hurt us. Another one, the second one is koinonia. You've heard that Greek word probably before. And that has to do with the bonding of relationships. Ecclesia has to do with the government. And the koinonia has to do with the bonding of relationships. And you'll see it described in words like fellowship or communion. The communion of the saints together or the, the fellowship of the believers. The word, Rick Joyner says, the word represents a bonding together to such a degree that the parts cannot be separated without dying. You see, the one of the things that do, the way that uh, Paul describes the the church is the body of Christ. And of course, we all we're all familiar with that, but we don't live like that. I mean, we we 
a kind of graphic picture comes to mind. I, I'm actually not going to say it. But we, we're so divided in so many different ways that we don't represent a body that actually understands that if we're separated, we die. I guarantee you, Siamese twins understand the power of unity. One mind, one heart, one purpose. Sometimes literally. So to be separated from one another usually results in death of the other one. Some think that they can have fellowship with God and do without God's people. Sorry. We cannot, Rick Joyner says, we cannot be rightly joined to the head who is Jesus without being rightly joined to His body. We might think we love God, but if we don't love His people, actually John in his epistle to the church at Ephesus, I believe, he says we're lying to ourselves. 1 John 1. First John 1, verse 7. But if we're living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship or koinonia with one another. That bonding agent with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from every sin. And then skip over to chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment, for it is an old one you have always had. Right from the beginning, this commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it's also new. This commandment is true in Christ and is true among you because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone says I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves other Christians is living in the light and does not cause anyone to stumble and anyone who hates a brother or sister is living and walking in darkness such a person is lost having been blinded by that darkness so if my hand is severed from my body how long does it have to live yeah we we know when somebody you know some part of the body has been has been taken off uh, emergency experts know they have a very limited amount of time that usually involves an air vac of some kind, putting that body part on ice and, you know, doing whatever they can to keep life in there. But they ultimately know that party, body part is going to die if it's not connected to the larger part of the body. So basically... The things that we do, maybe good coffee or sitting there looking at the backs of one another's heads, um, we would think that that is koinonia. But it's very far from it. We can be in the same room with one another and yet have zero koinonia with one another. It requires investment, time, resources, energy, all those things in order to create and be what God describes as koinonia, his heart for his family. The basis for all that we are and all that we do has to be Jesus. 
Everything points to Him. A couple weeks ago, we just hit a couple things here. And again, don't go listen to that if you don't want to be tested. But we talked about that we're a community of grace. And I'm just going to go through a couple things here. That our relationships should reflect the way that God relates to us. That is really hard to remember. Because again, we, most of us don't have a problem with God. We've got a problem with God's people. We're the tough people to deal with. Me included. We said that, that God's people, that we're, we're called to be givers. God so loved the world that He gave. And so we need to reflect the divine community. God's community, uh, us as a community, need to reflect that divine community. Being connected enough to know one another's needs. Your body parts are all connected in a way that you understand your needs. When there's pain at some point in time, you know it, don't you? Yes, because you're connected. Are we connected to that degree? Because that's the way God describes us. He wants us to get a visual picture of this so that it's not some ethereal thing that we can just bypass. We have to be connected enough time, energy, resources, being together. And if you go and look at Acts 2 and what Holy Spirit did in bringing them together, which is the total antithesis of Genesis 11. Tower of Babel and the people trying to do their own thing. They couldn't bring it together. Holy Spirit did what no human group of human beings could ever do. Are we acquainted with one another to the degree that we can discern the needs that one another have? And we gave the assignment. We gave the assignment for those of you who are at Pride of Christ Church North Shore that you'd have people in your home at least once a month. And that's not just for them. That's for you. You need that. You need to have people in your home. You need to have people see your mess. We talked about being selfless. We talked about serving. Jesus says, hey, kingdom of God, here's the deal. The greatest among you is going to be the one who serves. Anybody can do what they're told, but do you have a heart to serve? Are you looking for opportunities to serve one another? We said, that take, take this uh, into your job place. Husbands, take this into your families. The greatest among you, that's the man who who's, God has called a greater responsibility on him to lay down his life for his wife in particular and to serve his family. So is it just come home and demand everybody serve you and you're, what you're doing? Or are you laying down your life like Christ did? When you go into the marketplace, when you go on to your job, are you looking for opportunities to serve those who are above you in authority? Your bosses in new and creative ways? Or are you just like everybody else out for number one? Make it up the corporate ladder and all the rest. The other thing too that will help blow people away is are you looking for opportunities to serve those that are under you? Unheard of. You see, Jesus came to turn everything on its head. He said the kings and the, and the leaders of the day, what do they do? They call everyone... They, Consider themselves to be a servants of the people, but they have everybody serve them. Oh, and then the last one we got to last time, work it through all the way. Again, don't listen to it. 
But we said, take your pride, take your pride on a test drive. Take your pride on a test drive by trying out, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Quit saying sorry. Quit developing an apologetic, which is really just a defense for what you've done. Yep, plug the ears. Just grab some, just hold. Mm. All right, here we go. Fresh material. Getting tended to this morning. The first one is humility. If you got earplugs, put them in now. Listen to this by Matthew Henry. My mom gave me this. Our love for God will be measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love displayed. Mm. Our love for God will be measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love displayed. So it is with humility. Humility with others will be the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real. Humility before others will be the only sufficient proof to prove and have evidence that your relationship and your humility with God is real. In other words, if it's not happening at home, at home, it's not real. What a great opportunity for repentance. The only humility that is really ours, in other words, the real stuff that we, is really true, that can be proven is not that which we show before God in prayer, but that which we carry with us in our daily life. It's our most unguarded moments that we truly see who we are. You know, when that whatever the arrogant statement or prideful statement, sarcasm, different things come out. Oh, oh I didn't really mean that. No, that's that's the real stuff. Don't don't. Don't just, you know, pass the, oh, um, boy, I don't know how, where did that come from? Oh my goodness. That was not me. Really? Who was it? Just own it. Take responsibility for it. Take pride for a test drive. I was wrong. I was wrong. It's our most unguarded moments that we really, truly see who we really are. Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12. Man. Verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of His one body, and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs, and each of us needs all the others. We all belong to one body and all of us need one another. What's your need factor? How much do you need other people? You ever heard that? I don't need anybody. Just me and Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, Lisa's like, how's that working for you? Verse 9 and 10. Don't just pretend, and this is what it looks like as he goes on, don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of the good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That's in the Bible. 
take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Always remember two important keys for communicating truth in humility. Okay? Here's the two keys in regards to humility. When you when we're saying we we can we are going to have to say difficult things to one another. But here are the two keys. Honesty and honor. We have to do both. Honesty and honor in marriage. Honesty and yet honoring one another. Honesty and honor. Keep it real, but don't give yourself an excuse to just say stuff in a way that is really going to be hurtful. Doesn't mean the truth won't hurt, but we don't have to add to it in hurting one another. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 2. Be humble and gentle. Again, he's, he's writing to a church here. Be humble and gentle. This is continually Paul's thing. He's dealing with relationships because they're struggling and they're writing to him saying, what in the world do we do? Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You make allowance for one another's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. There's that koinonia again. The thing that binds us together. We're all one body. We all have the same Spirit. We've all been called on the same glorious future, to the same glorious future. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there's only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. That's kind of one. It's a little bit on the unified side. James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10, it says, God sets himself against the, the proud. But he shows favor or gives grace to the. Sometimes we wonder why aren't things working out for me? Why aren't things going well? I don't, why don't I have favor in my life? I don't have that sense of yes, God's blessing, His approval, and and just you know it doesn't take anything away from what we've talked about in terms of God's grace. God's grace is right there. Are we appropriating God's grace? Are we walking in that with the Lord in obedience? So humility is the, the, the new one that we had this morning. The next one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh man, this is going to stretch. How many here value God's forgiveness? You know, if you know God's forgiveness, if, you, if you've been a recipient of God's forgiveness, you're born again. I mean, I don't, I don't really remember, you know, the, kind of the pre. I was pretty young when I gave my life to Jesus. But you know what? I've had a lot of years to realize the power of God's forgiveness. And it, it seems like as I get older, that hits home more and more. Yeah, that's so 
Do we value God's forgiveness? When we sing songs about God's forgiveness, do, what, is, what happens inside our hearts? It's like, oh, that was cool. It was a neat thing you did on the cross. Way to go, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm only saying that because I'm just telling you where I've been at different times. See, I get, I get an hour or so to warm up before you all get in here. The band, we're singing through the song, so I get, a, I get a chance to posture a little bit. So if you wonder why I'm falling apart up here, because I want it to rip me new every time. I want it to hit home more and more every time. I want it to get deeper and deeper every, every time. Mm. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And something that we're familiar with as the Lord's Prayer. And, but he's, he's teaching them, but, and he goes through this. And then verse 12, after he, he says here, verse 11, let's say, give us our food for today and forgive us our sins. Verse 12 there, forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. It's assuming that we've already forgiven other people so that we could be forgiven. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus goes on after this. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think for a lot of us, if, if, if you're like me, I don't remember what it was like to not be forgiven. To have that feeling of, whoa, this is all on me. This is all on me. That's what people without Jesus, that's what they're stuck with. This is all on me because if we don't receive Jesus' sacrifice for Him to take away our sins by forgiving us, then we're stuck with that responsibility on ourselves. And that's a debt we can't pay. That is overbearing. That is an unbelievable weight. That's... Come on, why do people medicate and therape, you know, therapeutic and, and all kinds of different things? Why? Because they can't handle the weight of their own sin on their life. The key to forgiving others is remembering again and again and again and let it becoming more and more fresh how Jesus has forgiven us. I was talking to my mom and sharing with her about this a little bit. And, and you know, my mom and, and dad, you know, 40 plus years of, of ministry experience, pastoring. And, and she said, you know, uh, I was like, mom, what are the, what are the poison, what poisons the well of relationships? And she said, unforgiveness and a critical attitude, thinking that you know better. Unforgiveness 
and a critical attitude toward others. Matthew 18. We're just in Matthew 6. Turn over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Some of you are going, man, I know that. What is... Matthew 18. I've heard that before. Been there before. Matthew 18 is, is what? Somebody help me. How to what? How to confront your brother. When they've sinned. Okay? How to forgive your brother. Oh, it's a little bit different angle. This is one of the ways. Yeah, how to work it out. How to work it all the way through. I would I would say this next point I want to I want to talk so we humility and forgiveness and this is how to keep it clean how to keep the relationships clean and and this is tough stuff and usually we screw it up in the first step there's four steps here basically that Jesus is going to go through here and but there's a lot hanging on that first one all of them are important but let's go through them together so. It says here in verse 15, if another believer, that's really important that we get that down. So it's not like telling somebody who's not a believer, hey dude, can you clean up your language a little bit, please? If another believer sins against you, you, or in, they're in sin, go privately and point out the fault. I know that sounds simple, but my goodness. If another believer sins against you, go to Facebook. (laughs) Privately, though. No, go privately. If at all possible, in person. Don't text them. Hey, just want to confront you about this issue seeing in your life. Now get this, go privately, two really important keys here, with love and humility, with a heart to see that person one back to Christ. If that's our goal first and foremost, and our relationship is secondary, I'm telling you what, we're going to be winning in this, in some serious ways. Because it says, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Hey man, you're right. But you see, when we go with a posture of humility, we're going, we're approaching them low. Hey man, I just... You know, and you're broken. Because we're approaching it the same way Jesus is. Our goal is to be like Him and represent Him when we're going low and saying, you know what, I just I want to bring this to your attention. I saw something, you know, and uh, I heard something. Or Even maybe going with a question first rather than an accusation or a confrontation. With love and humility. 
It's so difficult to remember that golden rule, do to others what you want done to you. Without love and humility, the whole foundation for restoration and reconciliation is compromised. And if you're on the receiving end, hopefully if someone's coming to you, then you've got to trust the Lord that freedom is the goal in this. How many of you have ever had somebody come to them before and you didn't see it? Okay, love and humility. That's why we got to live there. Oh boy, next couple weeks could be rough. How would I like to be handled? How do I want someone to come to me? It's not some sort of a blasting session. Galatians chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if anyone, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, almost makes it sound like Paul's validating victimization. Interesting. If someone, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Do you hear how Paul did that? So the person going, the way that it validates whether or not you're actually a godly person is how you do it. In other words, if you're not gentle and humble, you're not godly. Just the, the same way that John's talking to the, the people at Ephesus saying, listen, if you, don't, if you don't love the people, you don't love God. You're lying to yourself. I'm, I'm reading right out of the Bible. Just... And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Why? Because if we do the opposite of gentle and humble, what's the possibility here? We're going to fall into the same prideful poo that they are stepping in right now. (laughs) We're going to be in the same place. We're going to fall into the same stuff if we're going to treat one another the way that we know we shouldn't. Share each other's troubles and problems. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love. If you think you're too important to help someone in need, you're only fooling yourself. You're really a nobody. This word... In to restore, or this when it says here, someone that's been overcome by sin. In the Greek, that means uh, even if a man sins through a lack of circumspection. In other words, he wasn't careful. He wasn't wary about the sin. He 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 got himself into it. He chose it. Wasn't careful. Wasn't guarding his heart and his mind. It doesn't say if you know they accidentally sinned. We're not talking about easy things here, guys. The, the pride of judgmentalism. He's not saying don't judge. We must judge the way we want to be judged. So Jesus never said don't judge. He said don't be judgmental 
toward others. In other words, the Pharisees were judging people in ways that they weren't even doing. It's like, you hypocrites, what are you talking about? But we must judge. In other words, we must evaluate, hey, this is sin. According to God's word, this is sin. But I'm coming low. I want you to know something. I just, I want to see you restored back to Jesus. That's the end goal here. Whether or not, you know, because if they get, if they get Jesus, your relationship's going to be restored. That's just going to come with the territory. Wow. The heart of God for restoration. John 13, 34 and 35. This is Jesus again. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other just as I have loved you. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So we're talking about love that is based upon Jesus' sacrificial love for us. This is going to be the world that amazes, or this is going to be the type of love that amazes the world. Because he says, your love, you're going to love like me, and it's going to prove to the world that you're my followers, that you're my people. Forgiveness, humility, mercy, literally, these are signs and wonders to the world. Signs and wonders, miracles. You extend forgiveness and mercy and and love toward others and you seek to restore relationship and you go low. Miracles. And people are going, are you kidding me? I've never seen this before. Fighting, division, jealousy, pride. These are... It's what the world's used to seeing. Jesus selflessly gave way beyond his own hurt. He absorbed the hurt of others. And we're talking about being like Christ. Absorbing the blows, the hurt of others without retaliating. Actually says Jesus never even said a word. This is a love that went beyond friends and church. This, this is a love that went beyond to enemies, persecutors. You see, these are the types of things that Jesus brought that He made available to us by His Holy Spirit that were supernatural powers that other people can't tap into. Not to the depth when we're talking about all the way through. Hmm. I'd like you to stand with me. We got time. We've got a few years ahead of us, so we can we can go another week on this. Because I know some of you guys are about ready to slip out anyway to the hot game. 
here's how I'd like to do this. You may have already taken communion this morning, but as a symbolic act, and again, our focus being we're redigging these wells to open up these things where division has been and, and uh, where brokenness has been in relationships. You may have already taken communion. If, if you're a believer, if you're a, a son and daughter of, of God, then uh, this is a very, very special meal because it represents the, the broken body of Jesus, of what He did for us to purchase forgiveness, grace, love, and the juice or the wine that represents His blood, His love blood that it's so difficult to, you know, even describe because of the, it just comes across so trite because we, you know, we talk about it all the time. We just kind of, you know, come up here. And I, I loved it, you know, I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Dean, you know, come up and, you know, received. And he just knelt down and just like, oh. You know, it's, I think it hit him. I think it hit him fresh. It hit him new. You know, I was like, wow. Just right before you, Lord, I'm just going to drop a knee just to let this sink in deeper. But here's what I'd like to do. Oftentimes in worship, what we do is we, we receive personally for us. But what I'd like you to do this morning as we close, and this will just be uh, the way we close the meeting this morning. But I, I'd like you to, to go up. Do we have... Do we have it in the back as well? So half of you kind of go toward the back. The other half line up here. But I want you to get, you know, a, a cracker here. And I want you to dip it. And I want you to then, I want you to go to somebody else. Uh, I want you to share that communion with them. Because literally the scriptures talk about the, the power of communion. That every time we take communion, we're, we're, we're receiving uh, or, or becoming greater and more unified with Jesus. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. It's a work that He does. And a lot of it's a mystery. But there's also something else. There's a unitive power of communion or koinonia, which is what it does in all of us as believers. Some of you may be here for the first time. That doesn't matter. You're part of the, the body of Christ, the family of God, past, present, and future. So I want you to come out of your seats and I want you to begin to just get in line up here and I want you to grab some and I want you to go and I want you to share it with somebody. Maybe grab somebody that you haven't necessarily connected with and, and just say, hey, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go looking for somebody that you don't know or anything, but it could be somebody you've known for 30, 40 years. That doesn't matter. But I want you to go love on somebody and I want you to just let Holy Spirit do something between us as a people. Yeah, Holy Spirit, do, do what you want to do. Holy Spirit, let that koinonia work, that bonding agent of who you are, rub off on us in a really special way. Come on, you guys can chat it up a little bit. I don't know about your family, but my family, we're loud at dinner time. When we're eating, we're laughing, goofing off. Just no food fights this morning. Keep it clean.
I mean, this is a celebration meal. It actually says in Luke 22 that when Jesus was with the bread and the wine, it said, and he reached for another cup of wine. Come on, he, he, was, he was all about partying. He was celebrating what was going to happen. 